All right, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 John. 1 John, we're going to give 1 John a workout this morning. And looking at this last uh, point of the doctrines of grace, that is the perseverance of the saints or the preservation of the saints. And I've been examining, I think, and others have said, the grandest, most joy-producing doctrines in all Scripture because they, they do lay down how God saves sinners. It's really a system of theology uh, that really joyfully embraces the rich and the comforting and the God-exalting and the self-abasing, Christ-honoring, biblical message of the sovereignty of God in salvation. We all need to be thinking about these things. They are so very important, yes, to maintain our joy. And so the five points I've been discussing over these weeks is that uh, of uh, the five points of Calvinism told depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints or also referred to as the preservation of the saints. Let me have a word of prayer before I go any further. Father, we thank you this morning for your tremendous grace and mercy that we see in the plan of salvation. Lord, if you didn't do it, we would not be able to save ourselves. And so we thank you, Lord, that you met our greatest need and you sent your son, Father, to die in the place of sinners as the perfect Lamb of God, in which he paid for the sins of all the saints, and then he washed them away, defeated Satan and death, and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. And he's coming back again. So, Lord, your plan's not done fully. You have not glorified us yet, but we will head there. And so, Lord, until then, let us think often about these truths. And I pray they would maintain and produce joy in our heart. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. By definition, I mentioned last week that perseverance is the doctrine which says that those who are the elect, because they have been the object of God's eternal decree of election, and because they have been the object of Christ's atonement shall continue in the way of salvation as the same power of God has saved them, will also keep them and sanctify them until their final salvation, until they're in glory, until they're with the Lord. So today, we're moving on to the third level of understanding this fifth point of the doctrine of grace, and we have briefly already examined the first two levels, and that's on this one, the profession level, which I looked at last week briefly, and then the heart level, and today I want to explore more of the living of this doctrine, the practical outworking of this doctrine. How does perseverance look on the living level? Can we actually test it to see how we're doing? See, this is very important because it helps us to examine the vital signs of the new birth. 
vital signs should quickly bring to your mind the indicators that show that someone is physically alive. When we look for vital signs, what do we look for? We look for a pulse. We look for temperature. We look for whether a person's breathing. We look for brain activity. All those things show the vitals of life and how a person is doing. See, the Word of God also addresses the reality of spirit, the spiritual vital signs. Just as there are always signs present when a person is physically alive, there are also signs that are always present in those who are spiritually alive, those who are born again. So on the living level, will show the reality of the believer's profession of faith. Now, how do you know you... How do you know practically that you belong completely to Jesus Christ? How do you know that? The Bible wants us to know that and not be in doubt about it. And for our learning this Lord's Day, there are two overarching points with some subpoints. One is an objective, and the other is, the other is subjective, but both are very biblical. And the first one is this, that one of the objective vital signs for someone who is spiritually alive is that that person is believing in Christ. Let's get that straight right away. They, are, they not only ha- have believed in Christ, but they are believing every day of their life in Christ. Right? That is very important. Now, if you're there in 1 John, I want you to notice that 1 John tells us that a person who is born again believes the following truths while they are, of course, believing in Christ. And of, while you look there, let me just mention that it was uh, faith is not only the means of receiving salvation, it is also the ongoing heart of those who are saved. It's like when Paul said, to the church at Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in the righteousness of God is revealed is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by how? By faith, by faith in Christ. So, one of the first things that someone who is born again believes is that they, are, they have sinned and they need forgiveness. That is a given. If you look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and the word of God is not in us. In other words, in all those passages, you see the word sin, 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 right? So a believer, someone who is believing in Christ, they already understand that they needed forgiveness because of their sin. And they live with that in their mind that when they sin, it's not pleasing to the Lord. It's not something the Lord uh, wants us to do. So therefore, we are confessing it. A second thing, believers born-again believers believe, is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, equal with the Father. That is a major truth 
Matter of fact, it is the pivotal truth for all true religion. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. And I want you to notice in these passages the term Son of God. Because the term Son of God is the title of deity and equality with the Father. Notice what it says in 1 John chapter 5, verse number 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now look at verse number 10 of the same chapter. It says, The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And then verse 11, And the testimony is this. That God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. In verse 12, He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And then notice in verse 13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. So in that passage of Scripture, when these passages of Scripture and others, what is true about a believer is that a believer from reading God's word staunchly and yes dogmatically believes that Jesus Christ is the son of God equal with the father and the spirit he understands that he believes that he believes that every day he's growing in his understanding of that every day can't get away from it and then thirdly Born-again believers believe Jesus Christ is sinless and perfectly righteous and is the only basis of forgiveness with God the Father. Of course, there are several passages we can read in 1 John. 1 John 4, 9 says, By this is the love of God, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. So Jesus, of course, it says in John 2 that Jesus is righteous. He is the perfectly righteous one. Because of his righteousness, we can be made righteous. That when we believe in him, he takes our sin, nails it to the cross. He, intr- he, trans- he imputes his righteousness to our account. That's W imputation, they call it, theologians. Our, our sins imputed to the cross his righteousness imputed to our account. So we are made righteous, able to go into the presence of God because of his righteousness and not our own. So a believer is believing that every day of their life. That's the only way. And then a next thing is that Jesus' death and resurrection are the only basis of righteousness before God. Now, you remember the passage of Scripture in First Peter where it says, For Christ also died... For sin once for all the just, for the unjust, for what reason? So he may bring us to God. And having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. It was his resurrection that was the mark between him being successful in his completing the plan of salvation. He was declared the son of God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, faith in Christ alone not 
our own goodness that saves us. And then, of course, Jesus alone is Lord and Savior. Again, in 1 John, look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. It says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Verse 23, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. And the one who confesses the Son has the Father. So if someone is denying the Father, they deny the Son. If they deny the Son, they deny the Father. In other words, they have no salvation. They have no relationship with God. See, these doctrines are so woven together so closely that if you do not, if you split them apart and you want to mess with them, then you actually are saying that you deny what God has done in salvation. Instead, a believer is to what? Confess it. It's to confess outward that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you have the Son, you have the Father. And if you have the Father, you have the Son. And if you have them, you have the Spirit. And if you have the Spirit, you have real salvation. See, that's where the Scripture brings us. He wants us the Scripture wants us to know that we have real salvation in Christ Jesus. Now, that's some of the background of the of the doctrinal foundation, but there are some other signs uh, that are listed in 1 John that I, are, are more practical to us. And really, it means this, that a person who is born again is not only uh, believing in Christ every day, but that person starts expressing the life of Christ every day. That means the life that God's given us, the righteousness that God gives is, has given us is starting to work out of our life. It's starting to change our mind, to change our heart, to change our attitudes, to change our responses to things. See, it's changing everything that those who are persevering in the faith will express vital signs of the life of Christ in them. Remember, faith alone in Christ saves. But faith that saves is never alone. This saying from the Reformation sums up the truth that a person who is saved by faith inevitably will manifest the salvation, their salvation by good works. It will come out of them. So the Spirit, the spiritual life possessed by being born again will always be expressed. That the life is expressed not simply by the absence of sin, but by the presence of righteousness. You have both. Both are going on. So what is the disposition of these vital signs? What do we look for in our own life that show that we are spiritually alive? How can we put our finger on our own pulse and take the word of God and examine ourselves? Well, there is certain things that we can look at to see if we are spiritually alive. Here's the first one. That the dispositions of these vital signs is that these are evidences of salvation, not causes for salvation. In other words, 1 John, the passages in 1 John do not say, by this you will be saved, but by this you will know that you are saved. Look at it, it says in 1 John chapter 5, again, verse number 18. I want you to notice what it, how it's recorded in Scripture for you and I, be, so we can 
check ourselves out. It says this in verse number 18 of 1 John chapter 5. It says, we know. So here it is. A born-again Christian knows some things. What do they know? We know that no one who is born of God sins. But he who was born of God keeps himself, and the evil one does not touch him. Verse number 19. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Look at verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So, again, the evidences are we know that we are saved because the Bible tells us these things are going to be evident in our life. Now, he does say there, uh, well, let me look at the second thing. Is, is they, For example, the disposition of the vital signs is that they do not mean a person is sinless, right? But that these evidences will characterize the attitude and actions of a person who was born again. That Christians can and unfortunately do sin, don't they? But as a characteristic, they will not continue in sin. That's where First John is going. But instead, they will pursue righteousness. No believer who is a true believer desires to stay in a habitual pattern of sin. Why not? Because they're living in Christ. Because they have the Word of God. Because they have the Spirit of God that is changing them. And so, instead of sinning, they want to pursue righteousness. Now, look at 1 John chapter 3. And notice in verse number 6, through 10, or verse 6 through 9, this is very specific language here for our for testing our vital signs. And notice what it says in 1 John 3, verse 6, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Look at verse number 9. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot Sin because he's born again. Now, this is a very important point today, especially today, that people are going around saying, listen, you can have a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and go on living the way you want to live. There's really no, uh, they, they stress the justification of God, but they do not talk very much about the sanctification of God. That in this passage of Scripture, if the seed of God is in your heart, and that seed is growing, 
It is going to produce a character that you never had before. And that character is going to be that you do not want to practice sin anymore. You want to put that sin to death, put it in the past, burn all the bridges, throw things away, get things out of your life that's going to hinder you. You're going to want to do that because the Spirit of God is going to enable you to want to do that. Why? Because you know it doesn't please your Lord. And so therefore the Scripture is clear. Listen, if you do practice sin and you do say, I'm a believer, but you do practice sin, well, you're just deceiving yourself. See, it's the whole matter of self-deception. And I'm talking about right in your mind. What do you think about in your mind? What do you, what do you imagine in your mind? What fantasies go on in your mind? See, what's going on there? Are you practicing sin? Maybe you're not living it out. Maybe the fruit's not on the branches, but it's in your heart. So you're just deceiving yourself. It doesn't say a real believer never sins. It says a real believer never wants to practice sin or get caught in the habit of sin. They want to repent of it, put it to death, and put on righteousness. Why? Because Christ is righteous. And he's given me his righteousness. So a believer grows in a holy hatred for sin that they never had before. But at the same time, they grow in their desire to put on righteousness. And putting on righteousness is really doing what pleases God. In my thoughts, in my words, in my actions... In my planning, everything that I do, I'm examining as a believer because I want it to please God. I don't do that perfectly. You don't do that perfectly. But God's not looking for perfection here. He's looking for the direction of your life. He's looking to see if there is the fruit that shows you're vitally alive in Christ. That there's, there's a pulse, man. I hear a, I got a pulse. The person's breathing. They're not brain dead. All right? They're thinking through these things. They are moving and putting away their sin. See, this is, this is a very important point in Scripture to show the vital signs. In fact, that these vital signs are so important, these evidences of life are so important, they are universal. And they are the inevitable byproduct of being born again. They're universal. See, every person who truly believes in Christ is born again. It says in 1 John 5, 11, through thir- 5, excuse me, verse 13, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so you may know you have eternal life. See, it doesn't say there so you may, you might know you have eternal life. It says, so you may know it. God wants us to know things. He wants us to know that you're alive. He wants us to know that we are growing. That those born of God really will inevitably manifest the life of Christ in them. Just, th- that's just the way it's, God designed it to be. So see, this is not just being in a religion. This is not just having a profession of faith and being baptized. This is a whole transformation that's going on. And the habitual absence of these evidence should cause someone to really soberly evaluate whether they're 
really born again? Are you really born again? All right, well, let's look at some other things about these vital signs. Let's describe them a little bit. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 to 6, there's an increasing awareness of the acknowledgement of your own sin. You're aware of it. It says in verse number 4 of 1 John chapter 3, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And, lawless, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or know, knows him. In other words, someone who habitually practices sin and then at the same time calls themselves a Christian, they have never met the Christ of the Bible. They have never met him. They don't even know him. Because as soon as you meet Christ, your sin, you become aware of. And now that you become aware of it, you want to acknowledge it to God. God already knows about it. You can't hide anything from the Lord. See, that's where confession comes in. So a believer is not only not practicing sin, but when they see sin in their own selves, what do they do? They confess it. See, that's the difference. I want to confess my sin, Lord. This is what I've done. This is the way I've been thinking. These are, you know, there's sins of omission, there's sins of commission, and I don't want to do this anymore. So see, not only are they aware and acknowledge it, but they don't want to continue in it. In verse number 9 of 1 John chapter 3, it says, No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So in other words, this has become, I'm born again into the family of God. God's seed is in me. I'm part of God's family. I have a connection to him like I never had before. And so therefore, I don't want to practice sin. In other words, according to Romans and other places in the Bible, sin is no longer my master. Sin is no longer my master. Again, in 1 John 5, 18, we know that no one who is born of God sins. It is not saying here that one who is born of God will never commit sin. The idea here is that those who have been born of God do not keep on sinning in the same way. Why? Because they have a different master. Jesus Christ is now their master. Sin is no longer their master. They don't allow sin to reign in their mortal bodies anymore. Christ reigns in their life. So it's this sense that the believer is moving in the direction leading to the conclusion of their life. And so present sanctification will end in future glorification, which will be perfection. That will be the end. That's where God's leaving us. That's why the perseverance of the saints is that if you are really a believer, you will make it to the end. Because God has his hand on you. The Spirit is in you. The seed of God is in you. The desire to do righteousness is in you who believe. See, it's already there. It's the work of God in our heart. Not only that, but we actually strive to obey God's word. We actually strive to practice righteousness. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. 
it says, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Who's righteous here? We're not righteous on our own here. No, we're righteous because Christ has given us his righteousness, and that righteousness is going to work out of our lives. So see, the, the practice of righteousness is a mark of the new birth, and the practice of righteousness reveals membership in God's family. In other words, the believer who is habitually practicing righteousness has already been born of God. And to live in righteousness is to avoid practicing sin. But not only that, it's to actively pursue what God says is right in his word in attitude and in action, what pleases God. So see, consequently, Christians should live in a manner in which they manifest the opposition to sin. We take sin very seriously as believers. We personally take sin seriously. We don't have to have have people come and tell us that we're acting the wrong way or we're speaking the wrong way or we're doing we're thinking the wrong way we're already looking at ourselves and evaluating it we, we see it in ourselves i can't talk that way to that person anywhere husbands i can't talk that way to my wife anymore i can't talk that way to my husband anymore i, I can't respond this way to my children anymore I can't be using foul language and language that are blasphemed the name of God anymore. I can't do those things anymore. I don't want to do those things anymore. I want to do what pleases God. See, so there's this overwhelming desire that you know you're still a sinner, but you desire to please God more than anything else. And your love for pleasing God grows as you grow in your knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. It was Peter Marshall who rightly communicated that the Christian is a person whose heart is set on pleasing God and who therefore cannot make sin a way of life, even if he may lapse from his high intent. In other words, that we're going to have a goal to want to be righteous, but we may fall in that goal, but that's not our desire to fall in our goal. The goal is to get back up and to put that sin to to death again and then to continue to grow in Christ's righteousness. Another said this, that the Bible does not promise that the Christian life will always be in a straight upward line. Rather, it may be like a small boy climbing a snowy hill. He frequently slips, but he manages to make it to the top. That's a good picture of the Christian life. Right? I want to make it. I want to make it. See, God's given you all the strength to do it. You're not doing it on your own strength. But see, the desire is to want to get to the top or want to please God. But we slip and fall, and God knows that. That's why he says in 1 John, right, that if you can confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. That's why that's there. Why? So we continue to fellowship with God. Remember, When you're a real believer, you cannot lose your relationship with God because you're in God's family. But you can cut off your fellowship with God. That's the daily walk with God every day. And so in that passage in 1 John 
1.7, and, and that section there, what it's saying there is that, listen, if you're walking in the light as Christ is in the light, well, what happens when you walk in the light? Well, you're going to see your sin. If you're walking with Christ, you will see your sin. Why? Because you're walking in the light. But step out of the light, then you don't see your sin so clearly. It becomes diluted a bit in your mind, and you, and you, you don't uh, see it so clearly. Well, anyway, what, what that does is it brings us to another observation about someone who is born again and checking the vital signs is that a, a real born-again Christian will view ob- obeying God's command of the Bible as a delight and not a burden. You know what? When we as Christian look at our Christian life as a burden, we're already sinning. All right, look what it says in 1 John chapter 2. Verse number 3 and 4. It says, By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Verse 4, 1 John 2, verse 4, The one who says, I have come to know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. You see that? God's commandments are not burdensome. If you think the Christian life is a burden, it's not because of what the Spirit of God's doing. It's because you're still giving into the flesh, giving into the world, and giving into the deception of Satan. A Christian is someone who realizes because of what Christ accomplished for them, it is a joy to wake up every morning to know the mercies of God are new on that day. And then to begin to think of what God has done for you uh, in the Word of God and that you delight in serving Him. You delight to want to be a vessel in His hands on that day. Lord, who do you want, to, who do you, who do you want me to speak to today? I'm going into a tough situation in the office, Lord, and you know how that is in there. Give me the right attitude to go in there and display the joy of God that's in my heart. See, it's... It's a believer, a believer has a want to, not a have to attitude. They have a, ha- uh, I, I love to obey the word of God attitude because they are thankful for Christ. They are thankful for their salvation. They are thankful for God's person and and what he's done and how he's revealed himself and they maintain their joy in that so 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 the christian life is never a burden it's it's never i have to do this again isn't there somebody else to do it no it's not that at all it's i want to do it i want to serve christ even if no one else serves i want to serve him and I want to do it with an attitude that pleases him. If no one else sees, and if no one else serves, God sees. And that may be the test of where we're at. When no, one, when no one's serving with you, no, no, when no one's helping you, how's your attitude? You're kicking things around? You're grumbling under your breath? Are you thanking, Lord, thank you for allowing me to do this thing for you? See, that's got to be what the Spirit of God is bringing us to because that's what pleases God. 
And then a real born-again believer regards the Bible, not man's philosophies, as the authority for living. Even though the Bible is under great attack today for a believer, it doesn't matter who attacks the Bible. Because the Bible is, when you read the Bible, and if you read the Bible through every year, you know this is God's word. You know men couldn't come up with this stuff. Men wouldn't even write this about them, about sinners, because it reveals who they are. No, this is God's book. And God superintended and, and preserved his word throughout the ages, and he used holy men of God not to give their own message, but to give his message through their own personality. See, that's what God did. And believe me, you read the Word of God every year and you'll be more convinced that this is God's Word. And you, that's trustworthy. It can be relied upon. It hits all the important areas of life. And uh, it is the authority for life and godliness. That's for sure. Another thing is that a born-again believer, will, they will not deny, but instead be confessing to others that Jesus Christ is their Lord. It's like in 1 John where it says, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, but who confesses the Son has the Father. They're not afraid to say, I'm a believer. They're not afraid to say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. They're not afraid to say it. Matter of fact, the best thing to do when you're going to a new place is let people know right away where you are in your Christian walk. You know? Because if you have to wait to the opportune moment there usually never is one and it becomes very awkward you know i'm a believer i believe in jesus christ i follow christ i love god's word if you say that to people they're going to look at you with strange looks they may even have some choice words to communicate to you on that at that moment but who cares i know the truth and the truth sets me free and they're not free i'm free and they need what you have so you pray for for, that God would use you to get to them. And then another thing is that a true born-again believer wants to fellowship and worship with other Christians. This isolation, Bible only, I'll keep my Bible at home and I don't have to go to church, I don't have to be part of a, a fellowship, I don't have to be part of a, an assembly, is hogwash. It is not biblical. Christians, because the Spirit of God is in them, want to fellowship and worship with each other. In fact, you know what? The day that we meet for worship on Sunday is the most important day of the week. There should be nothing that should stand in the way of that day. Nothing. And every, the world today, they have everything. They used to have everything on Saturdays, but now everything's on Sundays, right? Well, if soccer's on Sunday, your kids aren't going. If there's a golf tournament, tournament on Sunday, you're not going. If there's a baseball uh, World Series match on Sunday, you're not going. Why? Because you're going to be with believers, worshiping with them. Why? Because that pleases God. And not only that, that denies your flesh. It denies something you want to do. And it's not wrong to do it. It's not wrong to do those things. But there's a time to do it. There's a time to worship, and there's a time to do other things. And when you choose not to do something your flesh wants to do or others in your family want you to do, and you choose not to do it to worship God, see, that shows you're growing in Christ. That shows you're putting Christ first. And not your flesh or not anybody else's uh, imposed schedule on your life. See, you're putting the Lord first. And this shows growth. 
This shows that you're growing strong in the Lord no matter what anybody else says. You're not swayed by other people's opinions because you're learning from God's Word. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse number 3. It says, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And then the 1 John 1-7 passage, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. See, so this one anothering is all over the Scripture. You can't live your Christian life in isolation. There are no loners in God's church. There are none of those things in Scripture. So a real Christian wants to worship, wants to fellowship. They want to be with other believers. But usually they want to be with other believers for a mission, to do something, to learn something. Not only that, but real born-again believers, they love God by loving and serving other Christians. So that comes out of it. That's what they want to do. Like it says in 1 John 2, 9 and 10, the one who says... He is in the light and hates his brother, is in darkness until now. But the one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause of stumbling in him. So see, they they want to love and serve their brethren. See, that it shows growth. It shows, it shows that, you know, we can do a lot of things that we like to do. But sometimes you just ought to put those things beside, aside and, and go serve the brethren. And believe me, you want to get filled up, you want, you want to feel like God used you, go serve the brethren. Go do something for the Lord, and you'll find that, wow, this is, this is amazing. God's using me. I'm amazed by that. Also in 1 John verse, chapter 2, verse 17, they are not, Christians who are born again are not overcomers, are are not overcome by the influence of the world, but continue in faith and repentance. It says it all over the place. I already mentioned things about being an overcomer. Why is that? Because the world is passing away, John 2.17, and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Why, why do I want to invest in something that's passing away and decaying and dying? I want to do the will of God because that's life and that's living and it has eternal significant in value can send that on ahead and then one last thing in first john chapter 5 verse 21 the last verse of this epistle that real genuine born again blood-bought believers are cognizant of other idols vying for their heart's affection and want to remain on guard. Look what it says, last verse. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. See, the whole book of 1 John is about our affections for God. Us being transformed by the Lord. And as we're transformed by the Lord, we have to guard our heart from the other idols that are trying to get our affections. 
we have to be on guard, like a soldier on guard against those things because that's something that's never going to stop. We've always got a lot of voices shouting at us, a lot of things trying to get our attention, a lot of things trying to ca capture our affection, our money, everything else. We have to evaluate all that stuff and be on guard so we don't get caught worshiping something we ought not to. Can, it, can a Christian end up worshiping money? Yes, in, in some ways. That's, that's going to be a sin that we have to learn to resist. Or materialism, or being, you know, loving their work more than anything else, or a person, or whatever it may be, we have to guard ourselves from idolatry. And idolatry is always trying to get your attention and capture your affections. So, saying all that, what does the doctrine of perseverance of the saints teach us? If man is totally depraved and cannot do anything to help himself spiritually, if God is absolutely sovereign in the matter of election, choosing the elect on the basis of his will and his will alone, and if... Christ's death was for the elect, guaranteeing their salvation. And if God calls the elect irresistibly, then it follows that God will assure the final salvation of these elect and they will persevere to the final end and be in glory. Who God called to salvation will end up in glory. And in between, there's going to be a lot of movement, a lot of growth, a lot of desire to serve God, a lot of putting away of sin. However, God, however long God allows you to live, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on between your profession of faith and you getting to glory. So to fail, to give evidence of being a new creature is to be lost. Somebody can say they're a Christian, and if they have no evidence to prove it, they're just deceiving themselves, according to 1 John and other parts of the Bible. Some say, oh, wait a minute, you know, they've been backslidden. Christian can backslide. Or, no, they're a carnal Christian. They, they, they like the flesh more than they like living for the spirit. All, all I can say is this, if these have no evidence of spiritual mindedness or spiritual concern, let alone evidence of real salvation, there must be a big question mark behind their life to determine if their conversion is actually genuine. Because genuine conversion will produce a vital life of Christ every day. And the only way to really identify a true believer is by their, continuous, their continuance in holiness. You know, when God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, who's a righteous man? Remember that, that passage when the Lord said that in Job? Well, listen to what Job said in Job 17.9. He said this, nevertheless, the righteous will hold to his way. And he who has clean hands will grow stronger and stronger. In other words, he is saying, listen, it's the righteous walk of those who know God, which will begin to put off sin and put on righteousness. They are the ones who grow stronger and stronger and stronger in the Lord. 
See, God holds us, and the saints will also hold their way as God holds us. It was the Calvinistic Baptist minister, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He put it like this. A man on board a ship may be knocked down on the deck by the waves again and again, but he is never washed overboard when he was speaking of the doctrines of grace. That's how it is in the Christian life. So how are your spiritual vitals? Do you have a pulse? Are you breathing? Is there brain activity? Are you alive in Christ? Are you? You need to know that. So after taking your vitals, will the conclusion manifest the spiritual life in your soul? I pray that it does. And I pray that you are always growing in the Lord from this day on forward till the day that God takes you out of here, that you'll be serving and living for him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this morning. I thank you for your people. And I ask you, Lord, that you would take these things from the word of God, that, Lord, you would weld them upon our hearts. You would keep them before our eyes and in our minds so we can live according to them, so we can take them and we can actually examine ourselves with them. And I pray, Lord, as we do so, Lord, we can be confident, yes, indeed, I have the Spirit of God. Yes, indeed, I am growing in Christ Jesus. And yes, indeed, God is working on me, and I do desire to want to live for him. Yes, indeed, I do have vital signs that show I'm spiritually alive. I pray that for everyone here today. And those who don't know you may come to know you today as their Lord and Savior and confess you as their Lord and Savior and turn from their sin and believe in you. And those who do know you would continue to practice righteousness, continue to want to live to see these vital signs and these good works manifested in their life on a regular, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. So, Lord, we're becoming stronger and stronger in the faith and in the practice of righteousness. And I pray these things for us and for the glory of your name. In Christ I ask it. Amen.